good time. So uh, Mark chapter 8, as we continue on in our study through the Gospel of Mark, but also specifically into Advent season, um, this hymn is, uh, this song is one of my favorites around this time of the year because it's actually one we should be um, singing all the time. It's one of those hymns, a lot like Joy to the World, that actually gives us a call that goes way beyond Christmas morning. And so when you're singing Joy to the World, you think, you, you think about Jesus coming and establishing His kingdom, but really that's a song also about thinking about the second coming of Jesus when all of the fulfillment of what He's promised will take place. And then that's good news. That's good news that we're to go tell and we're to go proclaim. So I'm going to ask you, Mark chapter 8, as we go into Advent season. Mark, you put that up on the screen, if you would, going into Mark chapter 8 for our sermon. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 29 through 33. Last week we looked at Peter being asked the question, who do you say that I am? And he got it right. He got the answer right. And then in the next couple of verses, Peter's going to get it all wrong. I don't know about you, but does your life feel that way? Then in one moment, you get it all right. <laughs> the next moment, you get it all wrong. If you're married, I know your life feels that way. Especially if you're a man and you're married, I know your life feels that way. Amen? Right? Okay, come on, we can testify a little louder than that. That in one moment, you feel like you get it all right, and the next moment, you mess it all up, right? This is Peter. Peter is famous for this. This is how we remember Peter. Let, let me give you something a little different to remember Peter by. Peter's also the one who stood up and by the power of the Spirit preached a sermon in which 3,000 people came to the Lord. Now, that's a little better than this moment. He's going to have those moments empowered by the Spirit. He had a moment just before we're, what we're going to read today, just before he's called Satan by Jesus. Now, that's a moment you don't want, right? When Jesus looks at you and says, you're the devil. Right? It's different when your grandma says it to you. That's bad enough, right? But when Jesus looks at you and says you are the devil in that moment, that's not anything that we want to hear. And yet just a moment earlier, he's the one who Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus even tells him that flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But his father revealed that to him. And so he, he knows it. And in many ways, he even gets it. And yet, when he begins to think as a worldly person, when he begins to think as the world thinks and not as the Savior thinks, not as the King thinks, not as heavenly-minded, he's going to fall short. Let me encourage you with this and challenge you, challenge you with this today. When we do not set our hearts and our minds on things that are above, we will fail. We will pursue the wrong things. We will desire the wrong things. And we may become like Peter where we try to actually stand in the way of Jesus and all that he's set out to accomplish. So I ask you this question. Are Jesus' plans better than our plans? Yes. All right. Seven of you think Jesus' plans are better than our plans. I have not done my job in the last nine years. Are Jesus' plans better than our plans? Yes. Not just different many times, but better. Yeah. Are his ways not only different, but higher than our ways. Do we pursue them and do we need them and do we desire them and do we want to know them? That's the question. Okay, We, we know that Jesus' ways are better than our ways, and yet what Peter fails to do in this moment is he fails to pursue and desire Jesus' ways over his own. 
He fails to take all of his expectations and all of his desires and lay them to the side for Jesus' expectations and Jesus' desires. And when we fall into that same trap, we're going to fall into and we will fall into and we do fall into the trap that Peter finds himself in. So Mark chapter 8, we go back to the question, verse 29. He asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. If that is true, it has to change something. You don't just make this proclamation without it changing something. And in verse 30, Jesus says, don't go tell anyone about that truth, that I am the Christ. It was not time for that confrontation to happen. It was not time for the religious leaders to do what Jesus promises will happen, and that's that he would be taken to the cross. Verse 31 says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. He spoke in plain terms. And what this really means is he gave them details. And you can see some of the details. He doesn't just say, hey, some religious leaders are going to kill me. He says, right who it is, right here, it says the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. He lays out what's going to happen. These are the people that are going to drag me into court. These are the people that are going to drag me before the Romans. These are the people that are going to have me killed. Verse 32, and he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Read that for just a second. Peter took Jesus aside and said, Hey, Jesus, you can't talk like that. Hey, Jesus, what are you saying? It doesn't say that he was arm around Jesus going, Hey, buddy, you know, we, we really should think about the way we say things. He rebuked him. Rebuke is a strong word, right? The, the idea here is that Jesus is setting his mind and his heart and his position on the cross. And from this point on, he's going to be heading directly towards the cross. And it's as if Peter steps in front of him and says, over my dead body. You're not, you got to be kidding me, Jesus. It's not happening. You can't talk that way. You're not that. We came to follow you. We laid down our nets. Some people gave up money. Some people gave up houses. Some people gave up lands. And you're talking about being killed. You're talking about going and suffering. That's not what we signed up for, Jesus. That's not what you need to be doing. In fact, what you need to be pursuing right now, Jesus, is that kingdom here on earth that you keep talking about. You like to talk about the kingdom. We'd like to see a crown. That's the attitude with which Peter's coming. Now, he's well-intentioned. Let's make sure we understand this. Peter wants to see Jesus ruling and reigning. That's not an issue. It's not that he wants the power and he wants the position. He wants Jesus to have the power and the position. He believes Jesus is the Messiah. It's just that he doesn't understand what type of Messiah. He doesn't understand from what the Old Testament teaches him, what the prophets have told him, that this Messiah must be a suffering Messiah if he's going to accomplish the purposes of God. Verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. So Jesus turns the tables on Peter and rebukes him back. 
And I'm just going to guess that if the Holy Lord rebukes you, He's better at it than you are. Right? Jesus in this moment is far better at rebuking than Peter is. Peter, no, 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 you can't do that. Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Not, hey, you're being a little devil here, Peter. No, he just goes ahead and tells him, this is who you are right now. You are satanic influence personified. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And I think there's an equation at work here that I want to make sure we get right. I want to make sure that we don't fall into this trap. When he says, get behind me, Satan, he says that satanic influence and satanic realities are in Peter and what he's doing and saying because Peter is setting his mind on the things of man, not on the things that are above. And if you're anything like me, that should give you pause today. Because Jesus is not saying, hey, everybody's doing it. I get it. It's difficult. You know, that would be the easy route. I understand why you would want that. You know, it would be easier for me right now to just take the crown that they offered me earlier when I fed all of them, right? It would be easier for me to just go ahead. I mean, I have all the power. I've already raised people. I can strike people down with leprosy if I want to. You think the Romans have power over me? They don't. I could go just take power and that would be easy. And I get that you're thinking that way, Peter. He doesn't go that route. He says, Peter, if you're thinking that way, that is of Satan. If you're thinking like the world thinks, it's sin, it's satanic, and it's evil. Folks, I want to make sure you understand that when Jesus came onto the scene, He drew lines in the sand. He took gray areas and made them black and white. And this is a black and white to Jesus. You think the things that are above or you think the things of this earth. One is righteousness. One is evil. And there's no middle ground for him. And there's no middle ground for him because if you'll remember, he's already been offered this by Satan himself. Earlier in Mark, we read of Jesus going out into the wilderness and being, being tempted But in Matthew chapter 4, we get a little bit more of an expanded view of what that temptation looked like. And I'll give you one example. It's not just the, hey, you're hungry, so here, make these stones into loaves of bread. But in Matthew 4, verses 6 through 7, this is what Satan said. If you are the Son of God, which is what Peter is claiming Jesus is, right? If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down from the top of the temple... In front of everybody, throw yourself down and the angels are going to come concerning you and they will raise you up. They will not let your foot strike against a stone. You will be saved. And with that, people will see you saved. You won't have to suffer. Satan knew what was coming. Satan knew the suffering that was coming. He's going to be a part of it. You won't have to go through this whole long life of suffering. You won't have to go through three years of people not listening to you, people turning away from you. You won't have to go through bearing all their sorrows. You won't have to go through all of the pain. You won't have to go through taking their sins. You can have people follow you and worship you right now. All you have to do 
is jump off and take the easy way, Jesus. That's all you have to do. Satan offering to Jesus basically the same thing that Peter's offering and that Peter wants. Take the easy way, Jesus. Not the way that leads to suffering. Not the way where you've got to die. Take the easy way. You see, Jesus' ways are the Father's ways. They are the things of God. And when we set our minds on the things of God, I'll just say this as plainly as I can, they are hogwash to the rest of the world. Here's how I know most of the time that it's something God wants us to do. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Only He could do it. There's no way I would have come up with it. I pray this all the time for our church. Lord, do something among us that when it happens, everyone would have to say, well, I know they didn't come up with that. That has to be God. When we pray for God to heal someone, what are we praying? We want to see God do something that everyone would recognize it's God. When you pray for God to move in your friend's life, you don't want them to just get a new job. You want them to see that God provides the job, right? You want them to change the way they're thinking. And this is a work of the Spirit in them that God would change their thinking. We need to be people who would set our minds on the things of God. This has always been the way it is. God reminds His people in Isaiah chapter 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord's. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Not only are they higher, they're different. They're greater. And we need to recognize that. You see, man's way, and this is what Peter would want in this moment, this is what Satan offered, this is why it's satanic, man's way of Jesus becoming king would have been through power and position. Not just establishing the kingdom by his miraculous works and by his powerful message, but by taking power, by taking a position. Become the king, overthrow the government, make sure we have position, make sure we are secure in this world. Make sure we have a place at the table of this world. Make sure we're heard. Make sure we're protected. Make sure that we have everything we need in this life. And Jesus, Jesus' way is power through submission to God's plan. See, God's way is we receive power through our weakness and His strength. It's really a fascinating thing that when we fall prey to the idea and the way of thinking that Peter has in this moment that Satan offered, it's such a satanic thing that it, it removes God from the equation completely in our lives. Because, I'm just going to tell you, who are the hardest people to share the Gospel with in this world? Are they Muslims? Nope. Easy to share the Gospel with. Homosexuals? Nope. Easy to share the gospel with. Rich people? Didn't Jesus say it? People who have no need. Right? People who don't understand. People who can rest in their security. 
who have their barns full and they just keep building other barns. And they feel secure. These are people who won't listen. These are people who don't understand. These are people whose minds and their hearts are set on the things of this world too often. I'm not saying you can't be rich and have your your mind set on the things that are above. I'm saying that Jesus said that the love of money is what? This is what the Word of God says. The love of money is what? The root of all kinds of evil, right? So we have to be careful when we love and when we pursue the things of this earth. When we want position and when we want power on this earth, when we want some sort of security on this earth, and that's what we pursue and what we desire at the expense of saying, in my weakness you are made strong. In my weakness you are powerful. I'll submit because even in my weakness I can't accomplish this. Even when I'm at my strongest I can't accomplish this, God. Because God's plan is that He would show His power through our submission to His plan. So Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. This is the plan of God. He's got to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. This is not a new idea. This should not come as a shock to Peter and the disciples because if they, if they had read their Old Testament, and they had because... They were Jewish people and they had because they were desiring for the Messiah to come and they recognized him as the Messiah. This is what they would have read in Isaiah chapter 53. He grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing physically about Jesus that would cause people to follow him. It's not saying that he was ugly. It's, it's saying he was like David more than he was like Saul. Saul, you can look at him and you go, that's a king. That's what he looks like, right? He's tall. He's strapping. That's a king. David was the smallest. He was the runt of the litter, right? And Jesus was much more like David than like Saul. There was nothing in him that people would say, that's the guy we need to follow. Nothing physically. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus was joyful at times, but he was a man associated and acquainted with grief. He wept for his friend Lazarus, who died. He wept at the unbelief of Jerusalem and of his friends. See, with Jesus, most of our Jesus' sorrow was not self-pity like most of our sorrow is. Most of the sorrow in our life, if we think about it, is oh, I lost this, or oh, woe is me. Jesus' sorrow was for us, for the people around Him, for the people who were in pain and suffering. As one from whom men hide their face, He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You see, this should be no surprise to Peter and the disciples. He carried our burdens in the same way we would carry our burdens out of self-pity. Jesus, in His sorrow for us, took our burdens upon Himself. He took our pain. He suffered with us. He was truly Emmanuel, God with us. He condescended. He came from on high down to our level, Philippians 2. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And he was He was afflicted by God. It was God's design. He must, is what our text says. He must. The Son of Man must suffer many things. This is the plan of God. These are the things of God. But he didn't. He wasn't stricken by God and smitten by God because he was a servant. Not because he would suffer with us, but because he would suffer for us. See, this is the other side of Jesus. Not only did, was he acquainted with our sorrows, and not only did he carry our burdens but he would, and suffer with us, but he would also suffer for us. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. This was always God's plan to bring his people back. And let's just let's just understand why Peter can't get that. Why the world can't get that because no earthly way we would come up with that plan, right? Here's how we're going to save the world. We're going to send the only one who can save the world and have him die. To save the world. He has all the power and all the authority and all the ability to snap his fingers, to speak the word, and it all gets set straight. But what we're going to do is we're going to send him and he's going to die. He's going to suffer as a human being for 30 years or so. Then he's going to carry all of the weight of the burdens of the people around him. And then he's going to take their sin. It's not enough that he suffers and then he takes all of our burdens and all of our worries and all of our hurt. But He takes all of our sin upon Him and He's going to take that sin to the cross. I did not come up with that idea. I could not come up with that idea. You would not come up with that idea. Because it flies in the face of everything the world thinks about power. How do you get power in this world? Where does power come from? Position. Grabbing hold. Sometimes even just taking from others, right? You have to climb the ladder. And whoever you step on along the way, I should have just fought harder. It's the way the world works. It's the way the world looks at things. It's not the way of the Lord. And Jesus tells Peter, that way, that's Satan. My way is the way of God. Because, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we had our way, we would get in Jesus' way. If Peter had his way in this moment, he would get in Jesus' way. 
Let me make sure we understand this. If you and I desire our way and set our minds on the things that are of this earth and not on the things that are above, if we as a church become more concerned with the things of this earth than we are with the things that are above, if you and I, not just even more concerned, we become concerned with the things of this earth instead of the things that are above. If we do that, we will be trying to get in the way of Jesus and all that He is accomplishing and all that He will accomplish. And let me make sure you understand this. We're not actually going to get in His way because He's a freight train and you and I aren't. He's the Lord of the universe who gives us breath and you and I are not. And so when we step in the way, I'm just going to tell you, this is what Jesus does. Satan. I see it. I recognize it. You're not standing in my way. I'm thankful we have a gracious Lord. And I am even more thankful that 99.99999% of the time the way He deals with us is in that graciousness. But oh, if you've never felt the rebuke of the Lord, then you may not be in Him because He disciplines those whom He loves. And you can't get in His way. No king will get in His way. No government will get in His way. No nation will get in His way. No evil people will get in His way, including you and me when we become like Peter in this moment. It's important that we understand that Peter had expectations about Jesus and about the Messiah. And Jesus wasn't matching those expectations. Jesus wasn't living up to those expectations. Jesus was talking about going and dying and being killed by the very people that He's been demonstrating power over for this entire ministry. And now he's gonna, you're going to go lay down, Jesus, so that they kill you? I want to make sure you understand what in his worldly mindedness Peter missed. Look at the passage. It's really important that you see this. Look at verse 31. Look at what he misses. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And it's as if Peter's mind shut off and his ears stopped working right then. Because what's the next phrase? And after three days, rise again. See, Jesus didn't just teach them that he must suffer. He also taught them that he must rise. You, you want to talk about God's ways and not our ways, this is the way of the Lord that the one who would suffer would receive the reward of his suffering. That the one who would be brought low would be exalted to the highest place with the highest name that is above every name. So what are you expecting from Jesus? How has he disappointed you? He hasn't done what you wish he would or led you in the way 
that you wanted him to. Or done things in a way that makes sense to you. Are you expecting power and position on this planet? Are you expecting security from Jesus? Because he loves to say things like, whoever loses these things for my sake will gain a lot more in the kingdom that's coming. That's the way he likes to talk. He doesn't like to talk about what you're gaining in this life as much as what you're giving up in this life. Because with giving up things in life, what you're also gaining is him. That he becomes the reward. I mean, he didn't take position when it was offered. He chose heavenly power, not earthly power. And his reward is far greater. So who do you say that he is? Do you say that he's the Christ? Do you say that he's the son of the living God? Do you say that he is the king? And if so, are you willing to accept and receive Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and so accept him for who he really is, the suffering Messiah? And the one, as we'll see next week, who then calls us to live the same type of life. The type of life that would say, I've got to think with the mind of Christ. I've got to think of the things that are above. I've got to set my mind on the things that are above where Christ is, seated in the heavenlies. And when I do that, I can walk through anything because I'm following Him. He would tell his disciples, as we've celebrated earlier today, where I'm going, you can't go with me, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. One day you'll be with me, and you know the way. But Jesus, we don't know the way. I am the way, he said, the truth of the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which means there's a following that has to happen. He's gone before us. He's led the way and He's calling us into that life. When we accept and receive Him as He is, we must accept Him as full of power. But that that power is often operating through a painful plan of God where the reward is so much greater than we could ever imagine. So I ask you this Christmas, this Advent, this expectations season, when it comes to your work, when it comes to your family, when it comes to your money, when it comes to your gifts, when it comes to just celebrating, when it comes to your plans, I ask you, your plans? His plans. Have you asked Him? Here's what, here's what I love. When I was a kid, we used to take the Sears catalog. Remember when they actually printed those things? Do they still print those things? They should. Because you guys remember that? They were like this thick and you'd flip through and on every page. How many of you remember that? Okay. And you would go through and you'd circle the things you want. Well, my girls just got, now they, they check the mail and they love going and checking the mail because it's always like a magazine that they can look through and say, I want that, I want that, I want that. I was at the store um, a couple of days ago, actually, Friday. Pray for me. I went to the mall on Friday night during Christmas shopping season. And yeah, exactly. Talk about the work of Satan. That was, whew. 
I was thankful it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But we were in a store. I, I, la- I lasted seven minutes in the store. It was a new record. I lasted seven minutes in this store and then had to get out. I left the card with Joanie. I said, uh, whatever, just give me the receipt. At the end of it, I can't do it. And um, But she pulls out of her purse this brochure, and the girls have gone through. And on one thing, they were like, this is my first choice, this is my second choice, all the way to like seventh choice of which design they wanted on things. And I remembered what it was like to be a kid. So I ask you, this Christmas, have you gone around and you ask people, what do you want for Christmas? Anybody done that? Kids, grandkids? And you, you sit there and you look at your bank account and you look at the list and you go, oh, my word, right? And you just go, how's this going to happen? I'm going to ask you a question. Have you gone to Jesus and say, what's your plan for my finances and for my gift giving this Christmas? Father, I pray that we would have your mind, not our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus.